Welcome to That's Rad Adventures in Life, Love, and Wedding Planning from the Pacific Northwest. I'm Rad, local wedding planner and owner of Rad Occasions, and this is the amazing Rob. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Well, it's Monday. Not our usual podcast recording day, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's gray and gross out, so it's a nice day to hang out inside and chat. Exactly. Sunday was nice and sunny, and we knew it was going to be gray, so we might as well... Recording on a great day when yeah. we don't want to be outside, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and this is day, I don't know how many of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got, coming to the terms that I am boring like everyone else right now because we're in a pandemic. Yeah. I don't think we're boring. I think we're limited as to what we can actually do due to the pandemic. I feel boring, okay? Well, that's on you. That sounds like a you problem. <laughs> oh, I see how it is. I see. Well, this is season two, episode 12, and we are going to talk all about being an ally to the BIPOC community. This is a continuation from season one, episode four, where we generally talked about racism and the wedding industry and what actions could be taken. And I wanted to talk about this now because I'm seeing a lot of performative allyship here at home in the wedding industry and abroad. So I wanted to clear that up that clear up that being an ally is not just about posting a black square and following BIPOC accounts and resharing on Instagram. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's about doing like the rest of the work. So we're gonna dive in. If there's any definitions here that you are unfamiliar with, um definitely take a look at or sorry, take a listen. <laughs> to um, season one, episode four, because we do cover a lot of the definitions there. Um, Because we're talking about allyship, though, we will start with the basic definition of what an ally is, and that is any person that actively promotes, aspires to advance the culture of inclusion through intentional, positive, and conscious efforts that benefit people as a whole. So everyone has the ability to be an ally, and we have to remember that even though that's even though privilege is intersectional. So, for example, white women can be actionable allies to people of color. Men can be allies to women. Um, cis people can be allies to members of the LGBTQI plus community. Um, able-bodied people can be allies to those with different abilities. And then economically privileged people can also be allies to those who are not. And the list continues. Those are the ones that I could think of uh, while I was writing this episode. <laughs> and I'm sure some of those are interchangeable as well, right? How so? Like, a white guy can be an ally to somebody who's uh, differently abled. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just what I meant. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we get to what allyship is and I want to make this clear because I know in the intro here we've brought up that it's not just about 
what you're doing on social media. Um, but it's really a lifelong process and it's based on trust, consistency, and accountability with marginalized individuals or groups of people. So like if you have somebody who's telling you, Hey, like this is not okay. Or like maybe this could be approached in a different way. Maybe like take a step back instead of going for your gut, which is like getting defensive and actually like hear what the person has to say in that marginalized community. It's also not something that's self-defined. Um, the work and efforts that you were like putting in um, must be recognized by those who you're seeking to ally with. So, like for example, Rob, mm-hmm. if you, people don't know what you look like, well, let's just give, paint him a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pretty average white dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sums it up. <laughs> so, like, if you think you're being an ally, but like, say. I don't know. Give me an example um, of like a situation where you could be working to like be an ally, but the community doesn't see you as one. You really want to put me on the spot? Like <laughs> uh, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you read my notes. <laughs> I did, but I don't don't have them memorized. You're holding on to them, so I'm going to let you go with it. <laughs> okay, fine. I was trying to get you involved. But anyways, it's like if you're trying to al- be an ally to, like, say, the indigenous, indigenous community, but they're like, hey, like, we don't agree with how you're doing this or going about this, then that's not really considered allyship kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm getting into too many specifics. Yeah. So it's it's essentially if you're trying to be an ally, but you're doing it in a not so good way. Yeah. Like and then not listening to the people yeah. when they tell you that you're doing it in a not so correct way. Exactly. Like yeah. not in a way that's like beneficial to them, but like almost doing like um, that thing that I was called virtue signaling. Oh yeah. Yeah, which I wasn't. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um. An opportunity, an allyship also is an opportunity to grow and learn while you're building confidence in others. So that goes back to kind of what we've just been pointing out so far throughout this episode. Yeah. So go, don't get defensive when people say, you know, I get that you're trying to do this in a constructive way. Mm-hmm. It's not working. Here's what you can do. Mm-hmm. And that'll and, actually be helpful to yeah. the community. Mm-hmm. So to become an actionable ally and this is where I like really have to put a lot of emphasis is because there's a lot of words being thrown around but not a lot of action um so basically like your words and your actions have to be in sync um words without actions are really detrimental to the whole um process of allyship and it works completely against changing the culture so you want to think about um, if to be a true ally, you would want to make sure that your actions and words are lifting others up by advocating for them, um, sharing growth opportunities with others, um, not viewing venting as a personal attack, um, and recognizing systematic inequalities, and even realizing the impact of microaggressions. 
Um, another big thing, and I feel like this has come under a lot of scrutiny lately, is actually believing underrepresented people's experiences. Um, I've seen this happen a lot in the public eye with like really big social media accounts or even like really big companies like makeup companies um, where like people have come out saying, Hey, like this company was like really racist to deal with and this is how, and those companies are being performative and like, we're like posting the black square and all of that jazz and then they weren't really taking any accountability. And there was also people going against those people who were speaking out and saying like, Hey, this happened to me and like doubting that it happened to them. I think a really good example of that is, um, even like Megan and Harry's interview where people were doubting, um, the amount of racism that she faced. And it's like, well, obviously we don't know what happened because it all happened behind closed doors. But at the same time, like, how do you move forward if you don't believe someone? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Lastly, to, like, be a true ally, you should definitely, and most importantly, listen, support, self-reflect, and change. And the self-reflect and change go hand in hand because if you're listening and supporting, I feel like the next step in anybody's evolution is to think about how you can change the system, the dialogue, change how you're doing things. So we're going to talk a little bit now about how small actions can make a big impact. So like I said, allyship is going to be something that happens forever. Um, and holding ourselves accountable when mistakes are made and apologizing and being prepared to rework the approach is something that's always going to have to happen throughout allyship. Um, so I wanted to give a couple of like personal actions that anyone who's listening to this can take in order to, um, be an, an ally in the truest form. Um, so the first one is becoming a sponsor. Um, this is different from being a mentor because this is actually actively being involved in aiding someone's career progression, whereas mentoring is simply just providing advice. Um, and this is basically where you could champion someone from an underrepresented community to support their career growth and not in like a tokenism kind of way, but like in a genuine like this person is going to work out for your team kind of way. If that, I think that covers the gist of it. Um, another really big one is calling out inappropriate behavior. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot again. Oh, good. <laughs> but like, I think you've been in situations where you've been called out inappropriate behavior mm-hmm. in our past conversations. I don't know if you can recall any of those right now. Not off the top of my head, but yes, there have definitely been situations where even if it's it's kind of uh, not intentional, but a situation where something is said kind of passe or blase about something that isn't necessarily politically correct or isn't really 
fair in the way that it's being said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm pointing this out specifically with Robin. Yes, if you're listening to this, it might sound like I'm picking on him a little bit, <laughs> but um, I feel like people who are in privileged positions, such as somebody like Rob is, um, have the ability to call out unacceptable behavior towards represented people and be heard a lot more than, say, somebody like me. Um, And again, if you don't know, I'm Indian background, and um, I definitely have noticed there's been situations where people will take the word of a white, um, cisgendered male over mine um, in a lot of different kinds of situations, or even... Um, will consider them to be straightforward, whereas if I take the same straightforward approach, I'm labeled as unpleasant or difficult. So it, it definitely is something interesting that I've noticed. So if you are somebody who is in a privileged position, be it the way that you look, the way, like where you stand in society, like when it comes to wealth, any of those kinds of things, like it's definitely one of your responsibilities to take on calling out that inappropriate behavior. Um, and the, and another thing too is like underrepresented people might not be comfortable raising issues due to the fear of a backlash or even like jeopardizing their professional relationships. And I know I was like that for a really long time until the catalyst of 2020 happened with a lot of the unnecessary and awful treatment uh, that led to people dying in the states at the hands of people who were supposed to protect. Um, So it's definitely helped bring me out of the shell of like not wanting to talk about it because I was afraid of the backlash. Uh, A really big um, thing that other people can also do um, in in taking actions as an ally is asking all your employees and contractors to get involved with diversity and inclusion related tasks. Um, This shouldn't be something that's only assigned to somebody who's underrepresented in your company or in your group. Like there's a lot of emotional, um, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Emotional toll, I guess, that goes into being someone who is underrepresented, be that somebody of color or somebody who's um, LGBTQI plus um, or has ability challenges. So definitely keep that in mind that it doesn't fall on those people to teach you um, and or get involved with the diversity and inclusion within your company or within your group. Uh, this has been a big one, and I think um, this conference that I took uh, last year, or actually beginning of this year, called Altered, and they've been touching on this quite a bit, and they've had some sessions actually with Crystal Lily Creative about using inclusive language, and this is really around, especially in the wedding industry, um, being aware of using gendered terms. Um, and trying to use language that embraces all walks of people. So, for example, try to use partner, certificate other instead of gender terms like husband and wife. Um, 
and also think about the fact that there are some people who prefer their pronouns to be they, them. So like this doesn't leave them out either. And it doesn't make any assumptions either when someone's inquiring with you. Um, another thing too is like when we were talking to Kelsey and Lucy, like they said that they had a very, um, unconventional planning process. So they didn't really feel that too much. Um, but if they had gone like the, the usual route, like things like that could probably could have come up a little bit more often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also, and this has been mentioned before is, is that I really strongly urge people to take um, unconscious bias training regularly and understand that like unconscious unchecked bias can't and will not be fixed after one training session. It's a growing process and it's, you're going to challenge yourself and your peers and it, some great ones out there are Nova Reed and Rachel Cargile. Um, like I said, Altered also has a variety of sessions that they offer every month um, so that's also a great resource and they're not very much either. I think they're only like 10 or $15, which is pretty affordable. And if you are in the boat where like, that's just not going to happen for you, they're happy to work something out. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. This is something that I've struggled with actually. <laughs> Um, trying different recruiting methods to so like most of the people who work for rad occasions are all referrals and I started realizing when I started taking a good look hard at the company is that like because everybody's a referral we keep getting the same um kind of person <laughs> so if you look at our team page we definitely have like one type of person that's hired on the team. And I'm looking to change that because I want to, so I'm going to try different recruitment methods like I'm telling all of you to do right now. So to do that, you can, we can partner with organizations that actively push for equality in the space um, and be present at um, conferences as well to like, if you're looking for someone in the area, then that would be like a really good place to find someone and also reach out to unrepresented people for their honest feedback and on where they would look to roles and then try to like, um, make sure that you're advertising in those places. Again, this is not a tokenism thing. This is to bring equal opportunity to unrepresented people and to also bring like a different point of view because I feel like a lot of the times the same point of view, it kind of becomes like an echo chamber and that could be on social media. That could be in your own company with your friend group. It happens. Um, so the next point is that you definitely want to recognize your privilege. And I know this can be a really uncomfortable task. <laughs> You're nodding. You're agreeing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found this to be uncomfortable? Yeah. I think it's not something that you really think about how much privilege you have until you're forced to take a good hard look in the mirror and take a look at your life through somebody else's eyes. Like if you've never done that, if you've never thought about how your life looks to somebody else and 
you can't really fully understand other people's struggles unless you ask them, unless you try to take a look at how their life differs from yours and what kind of, um, what kind of things they have to overcome that you would never think would be something that you would have to overcome just because of Of the system. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to the systemic racism that we talk about in episode four from season one, where like, there's just some things that have people who are just like disadvantaged. Now that's not the right word. Um, that are, BIPOC or LGBTQ, like the, the system's just working against them. And like, no matter how hard they work or what they do, it's going to continue to be against them unless somebody who has the privilege speaks out and points out that unconscious bias, that systemic racism. And, um, I guess provides like a safe space essentially. And continues to make those changes. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that, like, you might not like what you find once you actually, like, dig into it. Um, I don't know if you've had anything that, like, you were like, oh, geez, like, I didn't realize that this was, like, such an impact, that, like, such an underlying thing that you just saw in your day-to-day and then afterwards were like, oh, wow. That's, like, a big impact Again, I think it's hard. It it takes a lot of work to try and put yourself in somebody else's shoes to be able to see it from that. Mm-hmm. There's perspective. Mm-hmm. So, and that's funny that you bring it up because my next point is actually following um, lots of different voices. And I know in the very beginning intro, I was like, just don't follow people. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that. Don't just follow them just to be like, oh, look, the, like just to follow them. Like actually learn from the accounts um, and listen to them. Just don't do it just to check a box. And like definitely like challenge yourself to cross it, like examine your bias after you've learn from these voices and this is going to be an ongoing process for sure. I know a lot of people are also like really scared to say the wrong thing. And I feel like I'm getting that from you today is you don't want to say the wrong thing. No, no, no. <laughs> you're comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just uncomfortable. Cause I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I'm talking about a hard topic again. <laughs> yeah. And it is a hard topic. It's not something that, a lot of people feel comfortable talking about and pushing to the forefront. And and I think more people should. I know I don't do a very good job of it. I'm not big on social media. I try to do it the most in our personal life and my personal life. Yeah. And actually one thing I want to bring up is that I know that in the process of you like you know, going out there sometimes on social media and saying, Hey, I am an ally. Some people have come back to you and kind of been like, why are you apologizing for being white? And I thought that was really interesting because mm-hmm. it wasn't really, it wasn't an apology at all. Actually. It was just an acknowledgement of like, Hey, I get it. I understand that I am coming from a place of privilege and I understand that these issues that 
are being brought forward are real issues and should not be pushed aside and swept under the rug and should be talked about and should be championed by everybody, no matter who they are, mm-hmm. what kind, where they sit in a, in a class level, where they sit financially, what color their skin is, mm-hmm. what their background is. Yeah. And I also want to say, too, like that last point is, and even to like learning about from like an array of voices even, is when you are trying to learn about this, do try to learn about this from people who are actually BIPOC, who are actually LGBTQ, um, I plus, who are actually um, in an underrepresented community. Because, like, I see that there are quite a few um, people who don't fall into those categories that are making money off of teaching anti-racism and they've never actually lived it themselves. They haven't had that firsthand experience. Same thing with somebody who's marginalized because of who they love, you know? Like, I I definitely think it's wrong to be the one who's um, up on the soapbox telling people how you can support, like, those communities when you have never experienced any of that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the person that's bringing to mind here is actually Robin DeAngelo in her White Fragility book. And I think she's got a few others too. Um, so if you're out there looking for like something to read, definitely look for something that's from somebody who understands that aspect of life, not somebody who has not at all. <laughs> and I understand that like it's, there is an intersectionality there where she is a white woman, but at the same time, I'd rather give my money to someone who is a person of color and a woman and is talking about how we can break down the barriers of racism. Just my preference. But to sum it up, um, really a true ally is going to have to regularly listen to those around them and adapt your thinking and rework and it's just going to be something that you're going to have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable in the end it's definitely going to be a challenging journey but it is definitely one worth taking and we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode as well as the one from season one episode four because we'd like to keep this conversation going so please feel free to send us a direct message on Instagram or an email at rad at radoccasions.ca. Um, we have had, we have so much more to talk about about this, so we will be t- bringing it up in, in future seasons. But uh, I think this is a good enough topic right now, enough food for thought. So until next time, thank you for listening and stay rad.